pressure's Great. on there. Now we're recording. Okay, good. So that was the last thing we needed to check out. So let's go ahead and kick it off. You're ready? You ready, Julie? Yeah. Yes, uh, as, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Welcome to today's free webinar, Evolution Over Revolution, How to Transform Your Testing with uh, our guest speaker, Julie Gardner. I'm Rex Black, president of RBCS, a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, RBCS has delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. We have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. And today we welcome Julie Gardner as our guest speaker. Uh, I have known Julie since, I don't know, like 2002, 2001, right. something like that. We met at a star conference in Boston, if I remember correctly, and I introduced you to the joy of eating lobster. <laughs> it was the best lobster I've ever had as well, yeah. <laughs> they are fantastic. They don't, they don't look like they would be anything good to eat, but they certainly are. Um, Julie provides independent consulting, uh, delivery, and training in all aspects of testing, management, and agile. She is a certified scrum master and agile coach and has over 25 years of experience, including time as a developer, a DBA, a project manager, head of operations management, and head of R&D. She's held positions of test analyst, test team leader, test consultant, and test manager, head of test and agile roles in the education, public sector, financial broadcasting, insurance, utilities, retail, web, and telecom industries using both traditional and agile methodologies. I like that broad experience um prior no really i mean so so many people have you know they're like they know one domain and they know it really well but they don't they, they they're you know haven't seen it from a lot of different angles so i find that really helpful prior to forming testing rainmaker julie's previous roles included director of digital engineering and tqa for hitachi consulting head of test and implementation at a uk bank that shall remain nameless, and Director of Product Management for a test tool company that shall also remain nameless, but I suspect I could guess. Um, <laughs> as that the, that's the Dawn connection, I would suppose. Huh? Um, in this presentation, Julie will let you know how to transform your testing. You may have heard the saying, the only constant on any project is change, yet the prospect of change is rarely welcomed, either personally or professionally. How is it that we still believe that these changes apply to others, but not to us? <laughs> Julie says that now is the time to reevaluate and transform how we test in order to deliver more value to organizations from a people, process, and tools perspective. She examines how we've got to this stage in terms of our role and what skills are vital for us to be prepared for the next stage. Uh, as always, if you have any questions during the course of the webinar, please submit them via the webinar interface, but please note that they are answered only at the end. So let's jump right into it. Julie, take it away. Thanks, Rex. Um, I'd like to start by uh, quoting JFK, because JFK said, change is the law of life, and those who only look to the past and the present are certain to miss the future. And uh, thank you for the introduction, Rex. Uh, and I really do believe that we're in a massive period of change. And how do we, as testers, adapt to that change. So as, as Rex already mentioned, I'm going to talk about uh, a number of different things, a number of my experiences, just some lessons learned, um, and also uh, where I think we may be going in terms of our skills and one thing and another. Um, I may some, say some things that are controversial um, before you rule them out, 
um, please uh, have a think about it and say, well, could, could this be right? Could this be true? Um, before uh, kind of dismissing it completely. So I am going to be fairly, well, I might be a little bit controversial, but that's always a good thing. Hopefully that will provoke some questions uh, for the end. Um, so I've said it's evolution rather than revolution because things evolve. Things are actually changing all, all the time. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, how we listen to music, how we shop, uh, how we watch movies. And Rex, you mentioned about going to the movies. Um, but uh, in this wonderful uh, situation that we've been presented with with COVID, you know, those movies are going not to the cinemas, but straight to us uh, now as well. Um, and we've seen over, uh, you've been very kind and said 25 plus years, Rex. Uh, I've been in the industry a lot longer. After you get to 25, I've decided just to not say any longer <laughs> how long I've been in the industry. But um, we've seen massive changes in terms of technology and how we need to do things as well. Um, I, I quite like this slide, although I will tell you if uh, the middle one that says the evolution of dating, if that's what the evolution of dating is supposed to look like for 2020, I'm going to stay single. It's as simple as that. Um, but and even our human needs, our human needs, uh, we've got a Maslow hierarchy of needs has been around since the 1950s. Um, we're now saying, actually, <laughs> it's not just about money being our basic needs and food and shelter. It's that wonderful thing of Wi-Fi. And even worse than that, if you don't have your battery, then uh, all of a sudden our lives seem to uh, grind to a halt. So evolution, and the reason why I think it is more evolution rather than revolution, is that even in the COVID world, we've adapted, we've pivoted. We haven't drastically you know, changed how we're doing things. Um, is we've just actually adapted to where we do our, our testing as well. Um, but evolution re re results in change. And let's be honest, change is a human thing rather than um, a, a human response. So we all say, yes, yes, we want change. I'm sure everything that you're doing in, in your current, current company is great, but you also already know things that you want to change as well. But when these things, these changes start to happen, we go, yes, let's go for change. Change is wonderful. Change is great. But then as part of that change, we recognize that it's something that we have to do as well. Then suddenly the, the interest in actually doing that can be a, a lot less. Um, so it's like, well, who wants to change? Yes, all of us. But who actually wants to change? Well, that's a different matter. Um, I actually had, um, uh, I, I generally don't say where I worked. The UK bank is, uh, is the, one of the reasons why I sanitized that. Um, uh, and I was talking about change in my current assignment at the moment, and we were talking about, right, so this is what we, we want to change. We've said all these things. We want to improve it. Um, this is what it means for you. And then all of a sudden they said, well, why do we have to do it? Because it's their problem. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that, that's the reason why we need to change. <laughs> so, uh, um, and how we adapt to that can be of, uh, of, can determine how it's success. So I'm going to use this analogy, it's used on quite a lot about in terms of adapting and evolution. Um, uh, so let's get start this journey and I'll start with the biggest uh, thing that I think that has uh, transformed what we do in terms of testing and that's the world of technology. Um, you see, I, you know, I'm of a certain age, you know, uh, it wasn't that long ago I was still working with clients who have mainframes, don't knock the mainframes. Um, but um, the technology determines how we do our testing, what services we can actually provide, um, and how we need to pivot as well. So whether or not you're right at the far right-hand side of this, working with the, the likes of drones and, and IoT devices and, and wearables and, and all that great stuff, fabulous. But 
remember, you may have to go back if you change a role. I'm not encouraging you to leave your companies. But if you, if you do, you need to know how testing needs to be done in those particular uh, companies and industries and situations. Um, you may be still working with mainframes. I know quite a few companies still have mainframes. So how do you actually have uh, be in a situation of, in terms of testing where you're actually having to test on mainframes, but you're also having to test mobile devices and do different uh, delivery uh, cycles as well? So regardless of where you are, we do need to make sure they're context specific. Now I wanna share with you a story. Um, I have sanitized it to protect the company. <laughs> uh, I've even taken away the, air, the year that this actually happened as well. So um, this relates to a very well-known organization actually. And um, they, the testers in that organization uh, believed you know, we needed to start looking into automation, which was great. A test execution tool actually, this should really be about a story on test execution. Um, so they started actually creating the scripts, they created the framework, things were progressing nicely. Um, they actually started with two people, they actually increased the team to four people in total. Um, by year four, um, I was actually asked to go and speak to this company and the VP of engineering said, you know, this automation thing, we've got a number of people doing it, I'm not really seeing the value. Um, so is this something that you can look into? Um, not only am I not seeing the value, you know, they seem to ask for a lot of time to do it. And can you really look into this, uh, this situation? So <clears throat> I just, I was on the consultancy assignment. Um, so if you think about it, they, they had two people working on it for four years by this point. Um, and they had actually um, got two people in uh, for the, the previous two years. So in terms of 12 years worth of effort, um, I was gonna ask you to guess how many regression test scripts um, that they'd actually created uh, for their suite. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you off and let you listen to me as I go on. Um, they'd actually created 117 test scripts. So I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see what those test scripts are doing. And uh, one of the questions I actually asked the um, automation lead was, uh, you know, uh, let's have a look at the scripts, but also, you know, when you need to make a change, and they, these guys were in, in a more agile, well, delivering every month uh, on a, so I wouldn't say they were really agile. They got some, some agile concepts and practices, but they weren't being agile, but that's another conversation altogether. Um, when I said, like, when something changes, you know, how, how much time do you, does it take for you to uh, maintain these scripts and uh, update these scripts? Um, and <laughs> the automation leads uh, response to me was, um, well, we don't really save time. We, we just, you know, rewrite it completely and we just try our best. And basically they were saying they throw it away and then they create a new one. But the, the approach that they were taking wasn't really giving them the value for money. They were taking an awfully long time to create these scripts. And then, and then as soon as something changed, they didn't even think about maintenance. Now, the reason why I'm actually sharing the story is for two reasons. I want you to think about, if you are doing automation currently in your organization, is it adding the real value that your company is looking for? You know, we invest a lot of time, we, we you know, spend all this time, but do we ever stop and think about, is it adding the real value that we're looking for? 
you know, where is your automation in terms of maturity? Are you actually still doing some uh, <laughs> approaches that take uh, it, it are difficult in terms of maintenance? Or actually, are you investing the right amount of time, getting the right amount of value? And that's amazing. And I hope you really are in that situation. And if you are in that, that's the present. But what about the future? Where is your company going from a technology perspective? Are they going to be able to be reused to get the best value? So the reason why I wanted to share this as well is to, uh, the moral of this story is sometimes that you have to take a step back before you can take a step forward. Um, what we actually did in this company is we, uh, we scrapped the approach. We started to look at what was actually needed, how we needed to do it, uh, get some more education uh, for the, the, the four automators and the remainder of the test team, and we started from scratch. Uh, now, obviously, messaging was on that was, uh, I'm, I'm being open and honest and said, we scrapped it. <laughs> um, but obviously, I didn't quite go back going, no, you're not getting any value. I just said, this is an opportunity for us to improve uh, along the way. And one of the key messages I want to get across in this webinar is, for me, communication is the key to any change that you want to do. So we're going to do another uh, quick uh, session on that too. So in terms of our execution tools, they, we've actually gone through a transformation about how we actually approach these. You know, we started off doing the, the wonderful capture screen tools and linear or linear as it's now called. Um, you know, and some uh, industries I know are still using this, uh, some companies should I say. Um, and if it's working for you, great. Um, most organizations I'm working with are more on the data-driven approach. Um, but I think it's really fascinating what's coming out in terms of you know, leveraging machine language, uh, machine learning even, sorry, um, and artificial intelligence and uh, visual automation to actually uh, accelerate what we do as well. Um, this is a, I think this is a fascinating area. But once again, it might not be suitable for your organization. So just because that's more of a the leading thing coming out at the moment doesn't mean to say it's the right thing for you. Now, <laughs> I did work for a tool company, and uh, this is a slide I showed <laughs> when I worked for the tool company, and uh, as you can probably tell, it didn't go down so well. Um, I do believe tools are incredibly important. The future, for, from a testing perspective, is to understand how we can leverage tools. But I do think tools and technology are a useful servant, but a dangerous master. So we need to make sure that the, the tools are actually working for us in our way, as opposed to, you know, uh, we'll, we'll change everything because that's what the tool wants us to do. Um, now, the great thing about our industry as well is we've got now a plethora of tools available to us. And I think this is what we should be leveraging from a testing perspective, whether it's just basic knowledge or if it's actual tool use, um, if you're, depending on your industry, then this is, this is the thing that I, should, I believe you should be making a major investment in. And I'm making that investment too. But with that investment becomes time. And I like to use the analogy of a, uh, we call it in the UK a slider puzzle. Uh, I know in Scandinavia they call it the 15 game. Um, and I don't know if some of you actually remember it. I've still got one, look, I've still got one. Um, and the slider puzzle is there to illustrate um, the, the need for slack, the need to actually have this, this time to get up to speed and become these toolsmiths that our companies are going to be needing us to do. Um, and the reason why, so the objective of the game, if, you don't, if you're not aware of it, 
is to actually put these numbers in order and to move the tiles around. And in order to move the tiles, you need a spare tile available. Um, but if this was a project, or if this isn't an organization, some managers sometimes see the spare tile that you need in order to move them around as uh, inefficient. So they fill it. And as they fill it, that also means that we have no time for improvement. We have no time to actually learn these tools that will allow us to be more effective for our teams and more efficient in terms of uh, what we do from a testing perspective, whether that's from prep, setup, actually doing the checking and, the, and also the reporting. So our role has changed. You know, when I first got into testing, which was a while ago, um, we, were, we were like the enforcers of quality. We were the police officers. We were the gatekeepers. We were the ones that said, no, we're not shipping. And we were sometimes seen as quite a bottleneck. Nowadays, I'm seen as being more enablers of quality, going across the life cycle, um, you know, making sure that we're getting the right business needs, we're making sure we get right good requirements and use, user stories and, and great acceptance criteria, helping our designers, helping our developers, helping our DBAs, helping integrate all the quality things that we, we are desperate to get to save time, money, but also service our, our, our teams in the best way possible. Um, I think it was Henrik Nieberg, I was at a conference uh, a few years ago, and he said, you know, QA should actually stand for quality assistance. And I love that. I think, what, what a great phrase. And I, I try to encourage that, that kind of concept uh, in teams nowadays. Um, so how do we do this? And, and we've actually evolved uh, over a period of time. So, you know, when we first started looking at testing, you know, it was all about the positive show, positive test, you know, happy path. And controversially, I'm going to say, I find a lot of agile teams uh, only look at the acceptance criteria. And if it passes acceptance criteria, it's good enough to go. I don't believe that is the case. Either your acceptance criteria isn't quite right and it needs to be uh, fleshed out a bit more, or we still need to do other paths. Doing happy path, isn't giving us a realistic expectation about what uh, what our customers will actually do with our software. So we're all about you know doing the happy paths and everything else. Then we kind of went uh, from an industry perspective, went kind of crazy about finding bugs. You know we've got bugs, how to break software. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like come on, let's go, let's break that software. I'm all for that. I want both. I absolutely want both. Um, and then really we started to see even a, more of a, a distinction between the, the kinds of testing we're doing. So not just the functional um, and also the fun, uh, non-functional, but also this, uh, this idea about checking and testing. Um, I have to tell you, I love this slide. This is my favorite usability bug. Um, I'm still confused by it. And I've, I've shown this for quite some time. This is from a game um, and it says, look out, failed. You need to be logged in to log out. Please log in to log out. Okay. No, not okay. I don't know if I'm in. I don't know if I'm out. I don't know what to do. I'm like, Ugh. I'm still confused. I'm actually going to call this the hokey cokey uh, bug going forward because it's like in, out, in, out, shaking it all about. Um, you should always be, if any, any presenters on the, on the session today, always be careful about what you show. I was once uh, teaching a usability tutorial, and, uh, uh, and I showed this, I said, this is my favorite usability bug. 
um, and the uh, lady uh, put her hand up and I said, oh, yes. And she said, um, that's my software. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, and I started laughing, I'll be honest with you. And then I said, well, at least I found you a bug. Uh, and she said, yeah, I'm actually a developer as well. So I was like, <laughs> I was like great, go fix it. Um, I don't know if it's been fixed, but uh, yeah, always be careful about what you show sometimes at, uh, at conferences as well. So, um, so uh, it's just fair. I like that one. It makes me laugh. Um, and then we started to say, you know what? Let's start to leverage more tools. The best tool, as far as I'm concerned, for a tester is your brain. But there are other tools that can actually take away the boring parts of testing. Yeah, these are the automated checks. These are the things that we can, we can uh, leverage to take away, I'm sorry, the boring part of testing um, and uh, get that, that uh, level of confidence and then use our wonderful brains to do more of the usability and the exploratory testing and the great test design stuff. That's the thing that excites me. That's the thing that gets me, uh, I, I think, uh, makes me feel passionate about what we do. Um, I even tried to, um, some of you may have actually heard about the different schools of testing. Um, you know, we seem to have all these different schools. I once tried to uh, <laughs> um, see if we could actually get world peace for testing. And the, the lightning keynote was, uh, if testing was a beauty pageant, what would we all want? And the, the answer was world peace for testing. Um, and uh, the, the, <laughs> my solution to uh, bringing all the schools together was to bring a school of all schools. And I had a little manifesto uh, as to what it really stood for. Um, and uh, you know, just basically appreciate everybody's points of view and one thing and another. Didn't quite work out. Uh, there was a limited uh, uh, uptake on that. But you know, use what's right for you. Use what's going to work for you. Um, I don't care which school it belongs to. If it helps me do what I do best, um, then I'm going to use it. And then finally, we start to be more in the world of DevOps, this enabling of quality, uh, being able to um, make sure that we've got the best possible uh, delivery and the time that our customers, well, our clients, um, our uh, companies want us to deliver um, and being able to actually uh, help with that enablement uh, from a quality perspective. Now, part of that means that we have to be a lot quicker in terms of spinning up environments, setting up our data, running our automation scripts, doing our reporting um, to help them along the way. Um, quite recently, uh, and when I say that, I mean last week, <laughs> someone said to me, um, what would you, if you were setting up a team uh, or what, what kind of skills would you be looking for? Um, and I kind of put, I, I, I want all my, all my testers to actually have some fundamentals, some core skills um, to be looking at. So every, every tester needs to know good test design techniques and uh, what, to, what test techniques can help them. Um, I want everyone to at least have all the test tool knowledge and understand what, what we can leverage them for. I'm not going to go through this list. I am going to talk about the soft skills in a moment. Um, but the fundamentals um, so that we, we can actually adapt to our technology and our situations in terms of process. Um, and then obviously we need people from uh, looking at things from a uh, business perspective. The World Quality Report said basically the two key things that they want from, from, uh, from a testing industry is to know that we're actually delivering something great for our customers uh, and our clients. Um, and also, you know, that leveraging uh, technologies such as AI and machine learning. 
So I think that we're actually in a great position where we can get to know about so many different things. And some of, some of us will go more on the technical side, some will go more on the business facing side. Um, I, there's quicker that companies want to go, typically I would say that they would actually be wanting a lot more technical skills. But for me, without any of these core key skills, I think that uh, we're not um, helping at doing the true enablement that we're looking for. Because as regardless of your technical skills, it's, you always work with people and it's always a people issue. So if you're wanting to instigate change in your organization, you need to be able to communicate effectively. So um, the role of QA, there's lots of different things we do. You know, we need to be this trusted advisor give the give you know the right information to make informed decisions we need to be that quality conscience on the projects and uh, training and helping we need to be a guru in the skills that we've just been talking about at least to be you know have those conversations you know we'll, we'll all have specialties but they have that generalization across the world as well um and we also need to be able to do what we talk about um, but from this perspective, I, I would strongly recommend the thing that's actually helped me the most are the two, the two things we're going to talk about now. Um, the emotional intelligence side and also the communication side. Um, so I would strongly uh, suggest you look into emotional intelligence. Um, I started writing a book on emotional intelligence. <laughs> um, I liked it. I, I was trying to do one thing with the book. Um, it was called Emotional Intelligence for Testers. Um, uh, it, I was trying to do two things with it and uh, it wasn't quite working. So I'm reworking it now um, to be more like my style of speaking and writing. Um, so if anyone wants a copy of that, let me know uh, when it finally comes out. Um, so here's some examples of emotional intelligence and it's not lost on me. that <laughs> um, uh, the people that have got high emotional intelligence on this uh, slide are aliens. Um, but anyway, um, you know, Homer Simpson, Sheldon, we all love Sheldon, but in terms of emotional intelligence, he's not, he's not doing the best. Uh, he has an opportunity to improve on that side. And I would say this, for me at least, has been the thing I'm continually trying to improve upon. Um, so the right-hand slide, side of this slide is really just to give you an idea of the four key concepts in relation to emotional intelligence. Um, part of it, half of it's all to do with you, and the other half is how you actually um, uh, interact with others. Um, and uh, as I say, this for me uh, is, uh, is something that I keep on trying to work with. Um, I've been involved with some amazing people. So in terms of gurus, they know their stuff. It's absolutely, hang on, they know their stuff. But in terms of emotional intelligence, they're not quite there and they're not getting the message across as well. And because of that, then other people have to um, uh, maybe potentially help with that or they get frustrated and move on. And that's just a shame to a company itself. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was this communication style analysis. Now, um, for me, <laughs> uh, this is something I've been using for the past 19 years. Um, this helps me communicate change in organizations. So if it helps me, it might help you. Uh, and I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. You're going to get a copy of the slides anyway, but you may want, um, I can add some extra slides in relation to this should be, you'd be interested in it. Now, when you look at this and do it at your leisure, I've got uh, an example here. 
is, is don't think too much about it. This should take less than two minutes, two to three minutes. But the idea is that you actually just go through a number of, of words um, and say, just choose one uh, out, of, out of the two. So typically, and if you're struggling and say, well, I'm very different at work compared to personal, then choose work, okay? So at work, am I pretty friendly or I, do I like things to be a little bit more formal in how we speak? Am I quite approachable or retiring? Am I you know, casual or business-like? Uh, am I open or guarded? Um, am I uh, unstructured or very organized? Am I quite social or am I more of an introvert? Um, am I quite intuitive or do I like to think of things from a logical perspective? Am I quite random in how I do things or do I have a, a good area of focus? Am I warm or cool? Now this isn't, you know, trendy cool. <laughs> this is just how you speak. Is it, you know, is it as warm as that? Hi, how you doing? How things are going? Or is it more of a, hello, you know, let's just get on with it. Um, am I quite perceptive or insensitive? And you choose one out of those rows. Now, when you get to that point, once you've answered those, count up the number of the, the words that you chose on the left-hand side. So in my example, I've actually chosen six to, uh, to put onto my X axes. You then do the same for the Y axes. So am I to the point or fairly indirect when I'm talking? Am I quite challenging, accepting, quick or leisurely, insistent, thoughtful, lively or relaxed, impatient or patient? This is clearly not mine because I'm very impatient. <laughs> am I adventurous or cautious, confronting? You get the idea. Once you've gone through these words for your y-axis, you count up the ones on the left, the words chosen on the left-hand side. So in my example, I've got two. Then you plot this on a graph. Uh, so mine was six on the x-axis and two on the y, which comes down into this bottom uh, right-hand quadrant. So let me just quickly go through the communication styles and, and try and give you, a, I'm going to take it to the extreme to try and illustrate the point. Um, and then hopefully you'll start to see uh, why I like this so much. So the analogy I'm going to give is imagine uh, I've got a laptop that's arrived in a, uh, in a box, it's a prompt on my desk, um, and I've got to connect it to our network. Um, if uh, we've got four different styles, so I'm going to take them, as I say, to the extreme. And the first one, so if, you, if you're actually in the top left-hand quadrant, is called the pragmatist. Now, in the pragmatist, this is how a pragmatist, extreme pragmatist, would actually handle it. So no offense, Rex, I'm going to pick on you and Dawn. You don't have to do anything. I'm just going to use your names. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so imagine I've got a box. Uh, I, uh, and I'm a pragmatist, okay? So pragmatist mode. Um, right, okay, my laptop's arrived. Uh, I've got to put it onto the network. I don't really know how to do that. But more importantly, I'm not the best person to do this. Rex, Dawn, you, 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 this is what you do all day. You actually connect all this stuff for people. The most quickest and most efficient, most effective way of me getting this laptop onto the network is for me to give it to you because you know what you're doing is fast, quick, friendly, efficient. Can you do that for me? Now, Rex, just nod. Look, you're the only person I can see, so just nod. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Rex, you're my favorite now. Okay, 
So the quickest, the most efficient, and most effective way of me to give, get this done is to, for me to give it to you. Now, pragmatists. Uh, if you're strong on the pragmatist, you love, you, you, you hate meetings, right? You may be the kind of person going, Julie, hurry it up. I've got it. Move on, move on, move on. Um, you love lean. You know, we don't wanna, you don't want to do this wasteful activities. You want to make sure we get the best results in the shortest time possible. The next one, the analogy is going to be the same for all of them. The next one's the facilitator. So same thing, I'll go into facilitation mode. Um, it's like, okay, I've got a laptop. It's just arrived on the desk. It's got to be connected to the network. Hmm. I don't know how to do this. Rex, Dawn, could you help me? I don't know how to do this. And this will be a great learning opportunity. So could you help me? Could we do this together? Do you see the difference? Before, it's me giving you that activity. The facilitator is like, hey, let's do this together. Let's work as one. This will be great for us. You know, I'll take you for a coffee afterwards if that's all right. Maybe pizza. Maybe lobster, Rex. <laughs> lobster. Uh, lobster, there you go. I would accept lobster as a payment. <laughs> as soon as we've got the vaccine, we can go out and have dinner and have lobster. Gotcha. I'm going to hold you to that, Rex. Um, so it's all about, you know, the facilitators, you know, when we're transitioning to Agile, you're like, why wouldn't we want to work with our developers? Why don't, why wouldn't we want to work, work as, let's pair, this would be great, this would be amazing. Um, now, the analyst, if you end up being an analyst, please do not be offended by my extreme example. So uh, if you're an analyst, you've got a box with a laptop in, the first thing you will do is you don't rely on Rex and, and Dawn, no, you will open the box on your own. And you will find a fabulous thing called the delivery note. And what you will do is you will make sure that every single little thing that should be in the box is in the box. And then you will find another thing called the user manual. And you will go through the user manual and technical installation and everything else page by page until you fully know exactly what needs to be done. And then you don't need Rex and, uh, Rex and Dawn, you can do it for yourself. Um, now, please don't be offended by that. <laughs> I will say the analysts, typically you get some really great documentation out, out of uh, people who are strong in analysts. Uh, if you are a strong analyst, you may be thinking, prove it. Where's the evidence on this model? Um, then you're probably going to be a strong analyst. And then the finally is the pioneer. So the pioneer, um, uh, same situation, gets the, gets the box, opens the, uh, the box as quickly as possible. It's like, oh, brilliant, my laptop's here. Oh, what's this delivery note? Forget that. Uh, what's this user manual? Yeah, forget that too. Let's just put it onto the network. How bad can it be? If it, you know, if it goes wrong, that's what warranty's for. Let's just go. Now, I'm taking that to the extreme of a pioneer. But a pioneer, you know, it's like, yeah, let's try this experimentation. What's the worst that can happen? We'll learn from it. What's the problem with that? Now, you'll get different opposing views. And the reason why I was saying you may want to get more detail on these is each one of these quadrants has likes, dislikes. You'll see, you'll see conflict in your teams depending on which, which uh, you know, what uh, proportion of, of uh, communication styles you have. I've also built upon this model as well. So 
Um, what I've actually done is I've actually mapped Belbin, Myers-Briggs, DISC. I'm also doing some work on uh, conflict styles, uh, so the uh, TKI, uh, TKI work, um, and also how your energy uh, and uh, affects uh, your communication style as well. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, once some of the, it sounds bad, once the studies have been done, um, then, then let me know. Now, I've been using this for 19 years, okay? And uh, what I usually do, I don't always go, yes, you must do this test so I can work out your communication style. You'll hear it. You'll hear it in what they're saying. But more importantly, look at what your style is, but also what about your manager's style or the people that you're trying to influence. You see, if you're, and if you don't know what their styles are, you have to cater for all four. So, you know, if you're doing something like TDD, you want to introduce that. Pragmatist, you talk time and money. Uh, sorry, time uh, saved as a result of that. Make it as quality first, think quality before anything else, but also it's going to save us time because we're not going to have to rework things. Analysts, case studies, documentation, whatever you can find to substantiate the claims you're making. Pioneer, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, facilitators, well, style, well, yeah, let's get Dev and Tess working together trying to do this TDD. So you can tailor your message to uh, an individual style, or you can actually do it across the board to achieve all four. Now, so uh, can I just say, this has actually helped me so many times in that evolution of change, whether it's process, tools, people, uh, and, and um, uh, introducing uh, continuous improvement. All right, finally, I think, uh, is on the uh, evolution of process and value of testing. Um, another case study, uh, I've, I've taken out uh, uh, the timescales and gone this one as well. Um, I'm actually uh, working for this guy now, <laughs> but uh, a, a number of years ago, um, uh, a CAO was actually saying, uh, you know what, uh, I'm not seeing the value of testing, but more importantly, the test manager was saying, These, they've got lots of change happening, we can't keep up, um, he's, you know, you're struggling to see what the value is. And he was a very brave to say, look, we need some actual help. So I came in, they got me sadly, um, and we put a number of little things in place. You know, we started to create test charters uh, uh, for our exploratory testing and uh, test strategy. We did an attitudes and behaviors thing to actually help the testers have an extra voice. And it's okay to give bad news and things like that. Uh, we introduced, started introducing some tools. We started doing some metrics, although uh, I'm very, uh, I'm very anti some metrics, uh, but we can talk about that later. But probably one of the biggest um, uh, value that we did was start to communicate in terms of product risk. And this for me, once again, is a tried and tested thing. Um, it's, it's helped me in organizations. It may help you. What actually happened, and it was over a six, uh, three, three, uh, sorry, four months period, we had a big release for this company. And I'm going to show you actually part of it. Um, we actually brought in more of the UAT. We started to do more experience-based testing with the UAT people. We started introducing more exploratory testing, the heuristics and things like that. The greatest achievement that we had in that company was traditionally, they had a, a yearly release for this one particular system. Typically, they would get between 30 and 120 P1 or P2 bugs in a 30-day period. When we went live, we had no, uh, sorry, within the first 30 days of release, we had no P1s or P2s. 
but more importantly, the business actually started to trust us a lot more than what we were doing. So my question for you is what information are you providing and why are you providing it? Um, I am quite controversial. I, I don't like people, you know, um, uh, saying, well, I report on the number of test cases. Um, that to me is meaningless. That hasn't had as much value in my context. Um, and if it's really providing that value for you, then great. But for me, what I'm going to show you in a couple of slides time has been the, the biggest um, uh, benefit for me. Um, now, I will tell you, this, this photo on the left-hand side is actually the, <laughs> the company. Uh, that's uh, a, a guy, I won't tell you his name, just in case he's on the call. Um, but we were actually monitoring, uh, just doing some very simple monitoring through a very sophisticated tool called Excel. Um, you can actually see in the background the attitudes and behaviors. But what I'm trying to get across with this slide is make sure you're tailoring the right information at the right level. So from a team perspective, it may be something internally um, that you want to be reporting on. Um, when you get to more of a release level, going over the overall product, and then obviously to executives and senior managers. Um, what I'm going to end on uh, is my secret weapon. Okay, I love this slide so much. I love this slide uh, so much that if I could translate this slide into a man, it would be my perfect man because it is that good. Um, certainly for me. <laughs> so I like to, and whenever I go into an assignment um, or company, I say, would this be useful for you? Um, and it's really about communicating the product risk. And this is the beautiful swan, as I call it. There's lots of work behind the scenes that you need to do. This is a discipline, this is a specialism, from, as far as I'm concerned, from a testing perspective. So the idea is on any project, whether it's an agile project or if it's in a more traditional one, we have outstanding product risks, things that may influence the quality of the software being delivered or threaten the, the, the uh, quality. So if we do a risk assessment to actually determine what those risks are on a high, uh, medium and low level, um, we can, that can shape what we use, what techniques we use, how much time we spend on it, what developers do and so forth. We always know the end date. So as we go through our testing, some risks will materialize. Some risks will be removed or reduced. But here's what I say to executives. I say, ex forget the end date. Forget it. You could go live at any point in time and your, your test team will, or test leads or whoever will be able to communicate the high, medium and low product risk. Now this is a beautiful swap, okay? In my, in my 19 years of using this, there's only ever been one company who hasn't implemented this. And I go, would this be useful? And in that instance, that company said yes, but we never got around to it. Um, um, and for me, this has been really the, the turning point in terms of value. So I'm, I'm mentioning this for two reasons. Firstly, you know, if your metrics and, and your reporting isn't you know, giving you a right voice at the table, maybe this is something that you want to look into. And there's lots of things behind the scenes in relation to this. Um, so all your test cases, all your results, all those kind of things uh, are happening behind the scenes. So I've talked about technology. I've talked about us in terms of our role. I've talked about how you can actually communicate change. I'm pretty sure there'll be some things that you could improve in your organization and is getting that message across in the right way. I've talked about how we may want to actually reposition what value we're actually given and then make those changes. Um, 
I really love this quote by Selena Delessi, who says, change is a given. Your response is a choice. I love that. It is up to you if you want to do these changes, if you want to make them, if some of them appeal to you, if some of them don't, then that's fine. It's, it's all about your context as well. But I hope this has actually helped you um, see some things that you may want to look into. So are you ready for change? I hope that you really are. Um, I'm sure that I speak for, for Rex as well as myself. If there's things that we can help you with, um, then, then please reach out to us. Um, and my final thing I'd like to say before we open up for questions is, Thank you. Thank you for those who have actually stayed with me uh, to this point. Um, uh, and thank you to, to Rex and RBCS for giving me this opportunity to have a chat with you. Well, thank you for the presentation. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and open it up for uh, Q&A here. And um, I've got some questions, but we'll let the audience <laughs> start first. Um, nice ones would be good. <laughs> pardon me? I said nice questions would be good, but I've got uh, maybe challenging ones. <laughs> well, I think we've got a mix. Um, so from Daniel here, and by, by the way, the reason I'm looking away is because I've got a second screen over here. I know from a video point of view, that probably looks kind of odd. Uh, Daniel uh, asks, uh, hello, Julie, given that change is inevitable, for the last slide, and the nature of change in all things is often unknown, how do you adapt your approaches to those unknowns? Um, so I think it's about your mindset first. Um, so, you know, if, if somebody's, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of a good example. Um, so um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm, I'm currently working on an assignment. Um, we've just started a, we've, I can't say too much, but we've got a massive uh, data lake where we're now wanting to leverage machine learning uh, on that. Um, now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I've, I've heard a little bit about it, um, but as soon as, as soon as that was mentioned uh, two weeks ago, it's like, okay, I'm not sure how we're, you know, uh, how we're going to do things from a testing perspective, you know, on the, on the machine learning, the AI side, what, do you, what, what are you testing? Are you testing the algorithm or are you actually testing the data labeling? What do we need to do? So I think in, in terms of the first thing I, I hope I can do is um, not be precious about any of this stuff um, from my perspective um, and just say, okay, well, so what's going to work for us? What's not going to work for us? I think for me, uh, I, I know it sounds silly, but um, the, it's the people side. So trying to have a growth mindset, be open to the change, um, not be precious about things because they're always, they're always going to change, but also uh, say, okay, well, in this particular instance, um, how can we as testing help in that particular situation? So the first thing I got did was, was start to get some, some of my testers looking at um, how we can actually leverage machine learning. How can we actually help verify what, uh, what's actually going on is correct um, and just adapting and seeing how it goes and uh, not assuming everything's going to be perfect because it's not. Um, so Flexibility, I'm... right? It's being, being flexible and, and uh, trying to, be able to roll with the punches, as we say here in the United States. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, as I said, I mean, whilst I love my favorite slide, if that's not going to work uh, in your, in your uh, environment, in your context, it would be foolish to use it. Um, so I'm not precious about it. It's just that it's something <laughs> that really helped me. Um, 
could turn it into a question as well, though. <laughs> Speaking of your, your favorite slide, let's go back to that because Amy has a question about that specific thing. Yeah. So, um, and this is, this is a great question. She says, what are you communicating when it comes to risk? Is it around defects? Is it around not tested business processes? So I think what she's asking is, what is if I were to put labels on the left-hand side next to each swim lane there, I get that green means low risk, yellow means medium risk and red means high risk, but what specifically, maybe give some examples of what each one of those lines represents. What, what, what is an example of a high product risk, a medium product risk, so forth? Perfect, Amy, you're my favorite now. Sorry, Daniel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let me just, before I go into it, let me just uh, show you, this is, this is the nice thing that fits on the slide. Let me just show you, um, uh, this this one here. If you look at the, the far left-hand side, do you see a lot of yellows and greens? There are a couple of reds, by the way. Um, and there's like three pages uh, of, of yellows and greens. Um, that is an actual product risk assessment. What I've just been talking about to, on the, the slide we're going to go back to, that's what it look, can look like in real life. Um, so um, let me just go back. I love it so much. I'll show you the animation again. Um, so yeah, so uh, basically, this is part of a proper risk risk uh, assessment approach. Now, you know, Rex and I both <laughs> know a lot about this. But yes. <laughs> is anything that may threaten the quality of the software being delivered. So, um, and you'll get to um, it's a it's a proper process. It's a proper risk assessment. So you would go do three key things: identify your risks analyze them, looking at uh, likelihood and impact, and then try to determine what to do about them, if anything. Now, one of these, so any of these risks, uh, so I would say, look, if you want to look at just starting off with something, look at all your requirements, okay? So I'm just going to make very high level one. You know, that first red could be, you know, um, we may not be able to log on using a valid username and password. You know, that is a very, very high at high level product risk. Because until we've actually demonstrated that we can log on with a valid username and password, that risk is there. Now we may, you know, you may think, well, that's ridiculous. But if you don't test for it, how do you know? And this, just so you know, this list will also include your regression tests. Because unless you actually run those, you don't know if they're going to work. So another risk could be, you know, our, yeah, our software may not allow 50 uh, 50 concurrent users um, uh, placing orders, you know. And until you've actually done performance testing to demonstrate that that's possible, then that risk is there. You know, a low risk may right. be, you know, sorry, go on. So, so the risk is basically mitigated when all the tests that you've planned for the, against that risk have been run and no must-fix defects remain to be resolved based on those tests. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's why I'm saying that this is a beautiful swan. So behind all this will be all mm -hmm. your tests, all your all your bugs, um, uh, and and the and the progress of that will be determined. So it may be um, you may not have seen it on the previous one, but um, there were some that actually went from yellow to green and then back to yellow or to red, and that's when you've actually encountered a bug that you weren't expecting. Right. So it's because of that, you, we know bugs are social creatures and they hang around together. <laughs> so we found the bug there. We, we now know that there's actually a greater risk of something not being quite right in that, in that software as well. 
Um, so I would say, Amy, look into this, speak direct to me. Um, this is a this is a, uh, a discipline, as far as I'm concerned, from a product risk perspective. But if you want that voice at the table, definitely go for it. I was once, the first time I actually applied this, um, I was a test manager and I was sick of, you know those go, no go meetings where they say you're going? <laughs> that was me. And I'm like, but we haven't run all our tests and blah, blah, blah. And they, they weren't listening to me. And I, right. I don't. Um, so I started to implement this. And then two and a half years later, I was a bit of a geek. Um, went into analyst mode, clearly. Um, and um, I actually looked at the number of maintenance releases and the big releases that we actually had. And in total, we had, um, I think it was 326 uh, projects. And when I started to actually do this, we actually got to the end date and 82% of those, we actually had our timescales extended because the business said it was, they, they, there was too much risk. And it allows you to have those conversations. You know, you may get to that point like in today where there's two high, one medium and three, uh, three low. And they may go, you know what? Let's just concentrate on the high risk. Once that's done, we, well, let's go. Or I've, I've been in situations where they go, we're going. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I used yeah. to go the wrong way. I'm okay because, you know, I've helped you. If you want to take that risk, that's your choice. Your choice. Um, you know, and hopefully those, those risks don't materialize. Although sometimes I've had them where they do, but never mind. But at least they can't come back and have a, have a go and say, well, where didn't you let us know? I hope that helps, Amy. I was, as I say, getting to the works on myself, we'd be happy to help you um, get, get this going. I love it. It's my favorite. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, Amy says, yes, thank you. I've, I've done a, quite a bit of this, as I'm sure you know, and actually co-wrote out a, a article which is posted on the RBCS website with a, f a fellow at Sony um, about, about something very, very similar to this. And it's basically a graphical way of displaying the same kind of information. And then you've got the drill down underneath where you can go, okay, let's, let okay. you know, you get a, certain amount of graphically represented risk. Well, let's drill down into what is that residual risk. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. yeah. And, and that's, that's, you know, and that information is so important for us. And, and that, what I usually do at the end is I, I give it a little bit of a commentary. Um, as I say, I haven't found a tool that will actually do this for me or help, help me do this. So I, I use a very sophisticated one called Excel. Yep. I've, same here. Same here. <laughs> I mean, I always tell clients, you know, if you're going to, put together a fancy test dashboard before you do that, prototype it in Excel and get it to be exactly what you want before you go spend a bunch of time and effort on some sort of BI package where you're going to try to make these super fancy automated graphics, you know, it's like Excel yeah. can do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually where I currently am at the moment, we're actually feeding in all our continuous integration and uh, 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 feedback loops on the automation side. Um, mm -hmm. But we're still, Still not real time, uh, yeah, but you know, yeah. at least you're getting there. <laughs> All right. Well, this is this has been great. We're at we're at about our time limit, so um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, close us down here. Um, so uh, thanks to uh, Julie for uh, giving this thought-provoking uh, presentation. Uh, this will be has been recorded and it will be posted. So uh, Julie will let you know when that. Uh, uh, when that blessed day arrives, <laughs> which will be shortly. And um, then we can share the links around on uh, social media and so forth. Uh, and I thank everybody for attending. Uh, 
I hope you all enjoyed this free webinar from RBCS. We do these free webinars as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company. <laughs> if you enjoy our free webinars and feel that they demonstrate solid insights into the kinds of testing challenges you face, please make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. Happy to provide a quote for any such help you need. You can contact us at info at rbcs-us.com. So uh, thanks again, uh, Julie, and I uh, enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for staying up late over there in the UK. Uh, um, mm -hmm. I guess you weren't having to face the awful choice of webinar versus pub, because <laughs> I guess the pubs are still closed or they're closed again. But someday, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll, we'll meet, manage to meet up in a pub or a uh, restaurant or something. <laughs> said lobster I'm, I'm i'm holding you to lobster rex lobster lobster it is somewhere <laughs> somewhere suitable for lobster <laughs> thanks everyone happy testing all right thanks everybody <laughs>